Hello and welcome to Say That, podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. You say so. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. We do say so. So chipper. Join us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. And so say all of us. Amen. I don't think that's the yeah. call and response. You know, that's, you know, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> So uh, if we sound a bit tired, we're getting a bit of a late start today. Yeah. Had some technical issues. Someone, I'm not going to say who, may have forgotten their microphone. It's, uh, it's a witch hunt. And uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, Glenn, but I like when people show up on time and prepared. Yeah, that's what I like. That's the thing that I enjoy. And of course, we'll, we'll also want to point out that later in the show, we will, uh, we'll be talking to uh, Brother Derek Miner, very talented hip-hop artist, about Woo! his new record. It's a good nice. chat with Derek. So we're going to get right into the wisdom, unless yeah. we have any more particular technical catastrophes or malfunctions. No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, in that case, we'll jump to our first question here. It comes in anonymously to... And on that basis, I declare technical emergency! <laughs> that was like the goofy falling off the cliff. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, we really shouldn't have installed this canyon in the middle of the, uh, the say that, <laughs> bunker. <laughs> So last time Jed buys wings from Acme. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did have a bit of a, a technical snafu right. on a recent, not an episode of the Say That podcast. Right. We keep it professional here, y'all. We have a network. No doubt. We have a network. That's, is, that's more than one thing? Well, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a work, but with a net. Ah. Yeah. See what I did okay. there? Yeah. We yeah. tried explaining it to Jed, but he really likes carrying that net, so we just, <laughs> just let it roll. My net and my trident. Yeah, so as you may know, <clears throat> as a faithful, we presume, listener to the Say That Podcast, uh, we have a couple other podcasts, and one of them is our Bridge Loud show. Ah, every yeah. Friday on iTunes. Check it out. Which, in addition to every Friday on iTunes, check it out, is also a radio show. You can hear it through the magic of old-time radio. That's like a podcast that comes directly to your car. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do a partnership with a rock station here in Chicago, QRock 100.7 FM. But so we were recording uh, an episode recently right. when, um, in the midst of the recording, tragedy struck. Whoa. Well, tragedy struck at the beginning. We didn't realize the tragedy had struck until right about the midway into the recording process. Yeah, it's the recognition that tragedy has struck that's really the, the bummer. That's, that's yeah. the bad part. So we're, we're recording along. We're laying down the wisdom, y'all. We're sure. getting into it. I mean, it's, right. you know, it's I mean, a shorter format show. We got to hit the, hit the brakes. We are, we're standing up for truth. Right. We're, we're making someone famous. Uh, right. We're proclaiming things. And then all of a sudden... Matt didn't plug in his microphone. Whoa. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> and normally, because we, we record the, the radio show in a somewhat similar format to, to this show, it's a bit more compressed, and we only answer one question, but you know, when, later on, Jed will go in and put the songs in between and whatnot. So it's, um, it's probably overall a 15-minute recording. Yeah. And literally about seven minutes in, I think I'm in mid-sentence, and Jed turns away from the computer and says, you, um, this is time out. Which happens occasionally. Technical, you know, the computer crashed, all very technical, you know, yeah. huge piece of software that Judge's trying to run and, you know, the whole thing. And in this one, he just points to where I, the microphone should plug in and there's there's no plug. Yeah. And then you look at the the waveform, if you've ever seen like audio, you know, when you, when you say something loud, it kind of peaks and, right. and you look at mine and it's literally just a flat line. Which is symbolic in some ways, I think. Sure, absolutely. So absolutely. I have a question about this that's, it's not at all conspiracy related, but were you trying to get a whole pass through the radio show so you could hear all of Glenn's points so that and then not have your mic plugged in so that when you everybody was forced to record it again, you could steal all of Glenn's points? Ooh. No, but I will be doing that next time. That's let me, good. Let That's... me tell you what I think about all this. Please. Uh, standards have slipped. Okay. <laughs> that would imply we started with standards. I'm talking about lackadaisical. Okay. Are we lollygagging? You're lollygagging. And you Is know there what? tomfoolery? There's tomfoolery, a lot of higgledy-piggledy 
faffing about. Okay. Wow. Oh, that went that from sounds a, serious. That went from angry uh, middle, angry kind of uh, middle America little league coach to very British. <laughs> yes. yes that's in, right. very, in a very quick succession. Here's what I'm saying. Uh, I'm I'm dealing with broadcast professionals allegedly. Right. It seems to be, and even as I'm saying this, Jed is attempting to manipulate his mic into some form of. It's like a yoga position yeah, he's doing yoga. with this microphone and the, the yeah. stand and the whole thing. It's like uh, it's like we need to we need to tighten this up. Write this shit because people listen to this podcast and they're like, "What's going on over there?" That yeah. is normally that's the first accurate thing you said. They're they're like. You know what's, what's wrong with these people? What the hey? Yeah. Yes. You know. Yes. And and what the he double hockey sticks? Whoa. Yeah. That's wow. Yeah, that's that's strong language right yes. there. Because that you know. But here's what I'm saying is, uh, we got to sharpen this up. Yes. Do you have a plan for us to do that, or just saying, just generally, that should happen? Uh, yeah. Just it should happen. Okay. Well, what would be some of the constituent pieces of us sharpening it up? I and mean, how would we know we've arrived? Well, you know what we could do is like. Uh, we could do like a rehearsal. Okay. Okay. We All could right. like re- plan everything and then run through it. Okay. Maybe okay. we could. Um, maybe we could spend a good twenty to thirty hours a week just kind of writing the podcast, yeah. honing it, sharpening mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rehearsing it, running it through, and that would yeah. make it good. Yeah, that's right. Do you actually want to do that? No. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's out. That's Does right that out. Process help other things. No. 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 No, hmm. no. I th- I think we should continue as we have throughout yeah. of hitting record and then just twenty three skidoo. Just see what sure. happens. Just see what happens. That I think we should definitely continue with improvising our way through. But within that, sharpen it up. Could Glenn just make a lot of promises to his base and then just make the rest of the other hosts on the podcast figure out how to get it done? Yeah, I think that's sure. ideal. Do you yeah. have Do you have promises you'd like to make? Um. Okay, uh, here's... Uh, I think the key is to make a promise that's vague. Yeah. Because then it makes it e- easier to, you know, finagle. So you can just declare victory whenever you want. Right, so uh, <laughs> we're going to be winning podcast. Okay. Okay. Well, now that's... If I can stop you, that's difficult because oh. they actually do have charts. Yeah. So right. you can see how you're doing relative to others, and we're not close to winning. We're going to make it the best Okay. Okay. That's, the, okay. That's, that's, that's hard to quantify. I like the that. The best ever. You're going to be so tired of winning. But, but but we're back with the winning though, and that's difficult because again, we actually do have charts. It's going to be the most beautiful, amazing, best, and greatest ever on the earth. Now, Jed, you're saying like if there were international rankings of something, yes, like, you know, and you were in somewhere in oh, let's call it the mid 30s. <laughs> It would be weird to declare yours just the best. Yeah, that people would, believe that. That would be weird. Like if if someone could like rank our, mm-hmm. like if you were losing to Honduras, yeah. yes, yeah. but you were like ours is the best one, and right. people would be like, he says it's the best one. It's pretty good. Yeah. Right. Well, sport reference. So oh. like with with the football and the soccer and everything, we're totally the best at that, right? Do you know the thing is. The World Cup didn't deserve us this year. That's right. They we, couldn't handle what we were what we were putting down. Yeah, we decided we didn't want to bother with it. Sure, we're gonna have we're gonna have our own World Cup. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> what, what are we gonna have there? <laughs> Soccer and whatnot. Black. Just set me up, Brewer. Just <laughs> set me Zitskies. up. For- Set me up for Futurama jokes. You know I can't finish. <laughs> and I, and I will say this, and we'll move on. But before we close this emergency out. I do want to a point to why we may not want to over-professionalize this. Okay. Other than everyone I know who spends 30 to 40 hours a week working on that thing. Who record on Sundays that they do for an hour on Sunday. Mm. Um, hates their life and ah. everyone in the building. And everyone's no one's happy about it. So right. there's that. Um, but the other one is, guys, I can't, I can't entirely explain to you, the listener, how happy Glenn was. When he realized that microphone wasn't plugged in. So fantastic. Yeah. I literally made you just freeze <laughs> so I could document it by taking a picture right away. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> when we record the radio show, we do it on Tuesday. We have our lunch meeting and then we have our bridge service later night. So it's kind of a, it's a pretty compressed spot. We're really trying to, right. to make this happen in a, in a very busy afternoon. And I, I assume, you know, we get the point out, I have my moment of shame. 
and I start, go to start playing the microphone. We actually sorted the radio show, and Glenn just starts yelling, "No, no, no, no! Don't <laughs> fix it. Don't just fix sit there, it. Sit and there. I'm going to take a picture. <laughs> that's right, and look sad. Well, that, that's right. Be ashamed. <laughs> look, look at that. I mean, it screwed me over as much as anybody. Sure, you're else the busiest of all of us I, on Tuesday. Exactly, but still, just the delight, the sheer delight. <laughs> yeah. You know. Somebody besides me screwed something up, and so oh, now, the relief! That's, that's the greatest that's, gift of all. That's right. That's right. Well, on that basis, I declare a technical emergency off. And we've checked the computer, right? We're we're all making noise. It's, it's all good. It's currently recording, but here's the beauty of Avid Pro Tools: is who knows? Sure, that's that's absolutely right. Well, we're going to move on. We do have an interview with Derek Miner coming up. Looking forward to that. We uh, do have some great questions, but of course. We never want to miss the opportunity to remind people about a product around which we always plug in all the microphones. Yes, usually. The most, almost every time <laughs> for five years, only once or twice, have we forgot to <laughs> start recording something, and then we have to go back and fix it later. Yes. Uh, but that would be Bridgebox. Ooh. Uh, that would, uh, you know, you get your songs and your sermons and whatnot. We're still in the month of October where our topic is, how do I stop being afraid? If you, if you, you know, I don't think we planned it this way, but it's, it's the spooky Halloween edition. Yes. It's like one of those, those really lame Christian haunted houses. Yeah. We talk about overcoming fear by the power of Jesus. Wow. <laughs> it's a haunted house, but with a lesson. Yes. Mm. Uh, but it's sermon from Glenn and myself, uh, songs from Glenn, uh, from Jed and Lee, uh, from our friends Pete and Tosh, we have our first ever Spanish language mm-hmm. bridge yeah. track, Woot. which if you check our social medias, facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago being probably the easiest one to find, or uh, check out the Tumblr, you can find that track. So lots of good stuff for only a dollar a month, number one way that people who like the podcast, like the blogs, kind of support the work we do in Chicago and in Tennessee, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump into our first question here. If you have us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with this. First question comes in to our email address, and it says, I find it very difficult to rejoice when others rejoice, especially when that rejoicing makes it evident of a lack of blessing in my own life. I feel like our question asker may have really overestimated my ability to pronounce the word rejoice, (laughs) but we forgive you. For example, my wife was sharing about an upcoming major promotion at work, and instead of being happy for her, I felt myself hit with pangs of envy. My wife is much more successful than me, which makes me feel bad. How do I, why do I feel this? And what do I do? I feel insecure and lost and what some feeling of control and accomplishment. So, Jed, let's take a look at this particular situation as okay. a case study, and then maybe I'll have uh, Glenn and Lee kind of open it up into more of this feeling. But uh, particularly uh, if you want to rejoice with someone who's rejoicing, inability to do that with your spouse is, like, extra bad. So how do we, how do we address this quickly? Yes, we, we do want to do that. Well, we're sorry for how you feel. I mean, um, I think... As we're going to get into, I think there's some assumptions that you've made that, that don't quite hold up. But all the same, it's crappy to feel like you're waiting for your ship to come in and it's not. And everybody else is uh, zooming right along. That's that's a bad place to be, and, and we're sorry for it. In your particular case, I think we want to look at a couple of things. The, the first is, just in general, um, and this is something Americans are really bad at recognizing, no one succeeds in isolation. There is no such thing as a person who just, on the merit of their own genius, succeeds, and now they're the best. It turns out that every victory in life is a team victory. Yep. Mm -hmm. You may or may not be able to recognize that. You may not be aware of of that dynamic or, or the fact that there's a team. But to be clear... All victories are team victories. Nobody achieves successes, any, not anything notable or worthwhile in isolation. Life just doesn't work that way. We are connected to, to one another. Um, in the case of a marriage, you and your wife are a team. You may not see yourselves as that, and you may not be trying intentionally to, to operate as one, but, but you are. You, you, you are a team. And so given that, your wife has not achieved this promotion, which is a great thing. I mean, we, we want to note that's a really cool thing. That's lovely. It's beautiful. But your wife has not achieved this in isolation. Th- this has been achieved on the foundation of the team that is the two of you together. Now, 
we have a choice. The, the choice is we can recognize that, that that is true, whether we want it to be true or not, and that actually that's a good thing and something worth celebrating and actually a place of strength, or we can both find a way to feel weird about it. You know, the, the, the wife can say, well, I don't know how much the team did, because I feel like yeah, I, I really kind of did the thing, which, you know, we're, we're starting to fib now. And uh, you can ignore the fact that this is a good thing, both for your wife and the two of you say, well, but, you know, I haven't done anything. But let's set all of that aside for a second and say this. If you're writing into this show, then you're probably into this Jesus thing. And, and I'm going to guess by the numbers that your wife is, too. The point of a Christian marriage is to function as a team and serve the Lord more successfully as a team than either of you could individually as single people. That's, that's what makes a marriage a Christian marriage as opposed to just a marriage. So, we want to face everything as a team together. That means the victories are the team's victories. That means the letdowns are the team's letdowns. We, we, we celebrate together. We mourn together. We do all this. And the reason for it is, A, that's, that's reality. Again, there, there are no individual victories in life. Those just don't exist. But the other thing is we're so much stronger when we embrace that truth and we operate from that. If we say, maybe we didn't know we were a team and we weren't operating very intentionally at that, but we still scored a victory, think how many more victories we could score if we did embrace that we're yes. a team yes. and work together. Right. Yeah. I bet the sky's the limit. We could do stuff with her career. We could do stuff with my career. We could do stuff with us not career-related in any way, but we could do amazing things if we embrace that. That reality. I'll tell you this. Basically, every good thing in my life today is a result of me and my wife working together as a team and right. saying, we can do this stuff smarter and better and stronger if we work together and we, and we support each other. On the end of that, every one of those blessings that comes along, it's not my blessing. And it's not Hallie's blessing. It's our blessing. Right. Um, it's not her victory. It's not my victory. It's our victory. And of course, ultimately, it's, it's the Lord's victory. But I think if we can let go of that idea of individual victory and embrace that, especially in the context of a Christian marriage, it's all about the team. Not only will we have more peace, we'll have way more victories. I think that's a very, very good point. It's a great place to start. And Lee, let's expand this out a little bit from this particular yeah. example. I think victory is a very important concept that Glenn is, mm. that uh, Jed has given us there, talking about, you know, I feel like I need some more of that when people uh, talk about their stuff, makes me feel bad about what I don't have. I wonder if part of what we need to do is be clear on how we're defining uh, things like success and victory, and particularly if we're letting God in on that conversation. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I think that there's a couple of problems that a lot of people have with um, with victories and celebrating victories. One of those is that we have a perception of there is a scarcity of victory. And mm. so if Glenn has a victory in his life, that means he has taken up the finite amount of victory that is to be yes. had. Therefore, yes. I, I cannot now have that because it's gone. That's over now. There's less victory in the world because Glenn stole it all. Um, that's not the way victory actually works. Um, if, if a good thing happens to Glenn, then that doesn't mean that there are now less good things in the world that can happen to me. It means a good thing happened to Glenn. That's an isolated thing. Jed's exactly right. There are no victories except team victories. But there isn't there isn't a collective amount of victory that gets pulled from that Amen. that then attaches right. to everybody um right. that he, a, a person can or a person or a team can have an isolated amount of victory that doesn't apply to me so that's the first thing that we need to realize and then the second thing that we need to realize and this is something that again as believers in Jesus I don't think that people stop long enough to really really think about this piece of it which is we need to redefine what is victorious in this life. Um, because we tend to think that the only thing worth celebrating is a big fat salary or getting our name in lights. Um, when Jesus celebrated a lot smaller stuff, and he celebrated it big time, he said, anybody that gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones will not fail to receive their reward. There was a time when a woman offered um, some perfume to Jesus, just as an offering of love and worship. And some people had a funky attitude about that. And Jesus said, check this out. Number one, I call this beautiful. Number two, y'all leave her alone. Number three, 
every single place for the rest of time where the gospel is spread, they're going to tell this story. Amen. That's how much this means to me. In other yeah. words, stuff that seems small in the eyes of the world is a big deal to Jesus. And if we're people that believe in him, then what that means, that's very, very, very good news for us, because that means it's extremely easy to rack up some W's. Like, we can get some wins today that are worth celebrating. If I help someone who is in need with a physical need today before the sun goes down, guess what? That's a huge victory that I can, one, accomplish, and two, I have the freedom to celebrate. The scripture gives me the freedom and encourages me to celebrate. If I listen to someone uh, you know, unburden themselves who's having a hard time, that's an important thing. And what I'm saying here is, you might not have the salary that you're looking around and thinking you should have to get a victory. You might not have the kind of promotions or the kind of uh, recognition or, or fame or something like that. But in God's economy, you could go do some stuff today or this week or this month that will be uh, in eternally important, A, and a really, really good reason for you to be able to look at yourself and say, I should feel good about where my life is. I'm going to celebrate that I've got some victories going on in the kingdom. I'm, I'm following where Jesus is leading me. I'm really pumped about the direction of my life right now. Um, the, the, just because somebody else has a victory doesn't mean that we have now less winning in the world. Um, and two, we need to redefine what is worth celebrating. Because what you'll find is really pretty easily, you can really start to rack up some W's and, and you are free and encouraged to celebrate those with a full heart. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. I think that's a really uh, good bridge from taking this from uh, that specific example that Jed walked us through into a more general thing. And Glenn, I'm wondering if you could kind of walk us a little further down that path. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, I answered this question on the blog and um, one of the things that I kind of, when I wrote my first pass of that, I, I assumed that some of this was a money thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm ashamed my wife makes more money than me because there's a whole lot of you know, sociological stuff and gender role stuff in there. Yeah. And then I read back through the question, and I, I, that still could be an issue, but he doesn't mention money. Right. There's this weird, like, she's successful, mm-hmm. and I'm not, and mm-hmm. that makes me feel a little bit weird about that. So if we're not even focusing on the material, I think there's this idea of, if I had X, Y, Z that this other person has, that would banish these bad feelings. Right. That is the value of that. It's not right. that I, as we're saying, you know, we're a team. If my wife, if more money, that's more household income. I get the money. Right. But there's this thing, if I have these bad feelings, and, you know, they say, I feel insecure and lost, and I want control and accomplishment. Because I feel mm. if I have those, I won't have this other. And A, I'm wondering if that would even really work. And B, how we might go about getting those good things without worrying about kind of not being burned by the bad things, if we can maybe focus on that latter half. Well, absolutely right. I mean, if you look at um, the fact that this lack of success makes you feel sad, okay, that's a bummer, as, as Jed was saying. But here's the thing. If you had that success, it wouldn't make you happy. It would mm-hmm. stop you from feeling bad. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> until right. you met someone else who was more successful than you. That's right. So um, that's what you call a trap. Hmm. You have fallen into that trap, and and we would all be yelling a very funny joke here if the people at Lucasfilm weren't quite litigious. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing: is it's actually a blessing for the Lord to take away the thing that we are trying to cling to, that we're trying to get, that we think would make us happy, that wouldn't. And sometimes uh, we find ourselves deciding all my happiness would be met if this thing was, was something I had, and it's not. And if the Lord takes that away from you, uh, then that's a good thing. Here's, here's the thing for you. Uh, achievement mm. is your thing. Mm-hmm. That's the. That's how you measure yourself, your self worth, uh, and that is so, so wrong. That is so wrong. There's so much more to you than achievement. As Jed is saying, there's so little of anything that you will achieve that will be on your own that you'll be able to take credit for. Sure. 
I mean, everything, everything I accomplished in life, somebody had something to do with that. And, you know, I had Sunday school teachers and grandparents and whoever that encouraged me along the way. A free public education. All of that. I mean, it's... Roads. You drove to your success on roads. <laughs> That's right. Interstate highway system. Somebody's tax dollars paid for it. The whole thing. It's, it's, uh, none of it is my own individual success, as Jed is saying. Um, so it's it's a blessing for God to take away that achievement thing within you by putting you in a situation where you're not achieving. That's that's a great thing. Celebrate it as as a, a as a blessing that you get the chance to be set free from this uh, by by overcoming it. And and so you're right to set your mind to to overcoming it. Here's the first step down that road. Flip this situation. You are achieving amazing things, and your wife is not. And your wife comes to you and says, I just feel like I don't have nearly as much self-worth as you because I'm not achieving as much success as you. You would say, that's ridiculous. Also, you would say, are you telling me that it's your expectation that you ought to be more successful than, than me? Like, it means something, like your 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 baseline is, that you should be the successful one and I should not be? Yeah, what you're, is, what you're is not that? not sad about the, just your own lack of success. You seem to be sad about the gap between right, us. That's right. So all of this would just read as pure absurdity if it was reversed. So I think it's possible for you to get your mind around the fact that it is absurd in that sense and that she doesn't feel this way. And I think what that does is it gives us a sense of of uh, this may be more uh, i think th- your take on this is that this is an insecurity thing and i think that's largely correct but i think it is also a thing in terms of the way other people perceive you you wouldn't want other people to know this you don't want her to know this if 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 your income and her income were both unknown to you, and it all just blindly went into a bank account, and nobody knew anything about anything. And then I come up to you and I say, actually, hers is more than yours, but only you know that. Would it bother you the same way? I think to a certain extent it would bother you, to the extent you're insecure about it, it would. But it's that sense of image and that sense of other people knowing about that and and being seen in that way. So I think there's an identity piece of this that needs to to come out of that. Your your worth and your value is not in achievement, not at all. Uh, Your worth is in how much you can serve that other person that you're married to. This is about lifting other people up. Her success is your success. If it, I think the question you have to ask yourself is, did she achieve that while you were in the other room being a schmuck, or did she achieve that through your support? Because if she achieved it through your support, it is a team victory. You should feel like, hey, I was in on that. If you were in the other room trying to achieve something so you were more successful than her first or something— then you should feel terrible. That's a that's a terrible thing. <laughs> feel bad about yourself. That, that probably won't be the part of the show I pull out to put as an inspirational quote on Tumblr. Probably, probably not. But it, it, th- this is this is where our our measure uh, should be, where our self worth should come from. I think it's, there's a lot of really fantastic stuff in there, especially like this idea of um, if you had it, how would that actually change things? Because I think a big part of that is when people look at this, and this is a, the, part of the reason you're feeling this is because you're a people. This is a fairly human thing. Jealousy is oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> extraordinarily common. It's it's one of those things, as Glenn is pointing out, you can either starve it or fuel it, and that yeah. has a big yeah. um, impact. There are no people who just never get jealous. There are people who work hard to kind of stamp that out when they when they feel it. But part of this is, I think, when people get really in this spiral of insecurity and jealousy that are, this person is talking about, there is that, as, as Glenn's pointing out, well, if I just had that, I would be happy. Right. When... Mm-hmm. That is one of the bigger unexamined concepts. Yeah, yeah. Here people say, well, you know, if I, if, and maybe, again, maybe it's not money. Maybe your wife has a, a, a very kind of prestigious uh, job that's, you know, out in front and, you know, she's, you know, a neurosurgeon or a trial lawyer, whatever it is. And you say to someone, well, if, you know, if you had to go to school for 12 years and it was all that pressure and, you know, you really had to, you could never crack. So you had to be the public face of this thing. Would you like that? Like, Every part of that sounds awful. It's good for her, but I don't. I don't want to do that. Okay, then why do you want this? 
Well, it just seems like I'd be happy if I had this thing I don't want, I don't actually want. <laughs> right, right. I just didn't really think through that part. Right, right, right. It's all these guys are pointing to. If the thing is, and we've we everyone in this show, and I particularly have been in this place, is saying I'm just not happy with any of this that's going on on my end. So everybody who's there's a, there's a phrase we use a lot around a lot up here in Chicago, which is I feel like they're just enjoying their life at me. Yeah, right, right. the whole point of their existence, and their happiness, is to highlight what I don't have. When you catch yourself in that in that spot, the the thing to do is increase your own happiness, hmm. independent of this other thing. Maybe you're you're you say your wife is a lot more successful than me. Um, maybe your wife is has a particular kind of job that she's suited to that, and she just like, is the kind of person who finds a lot of uh, fulfillment in her work. That's great. Right? Are you that type of person? Because if right. you are, then you can. There are things you can do to you know take classes or you know get a certification or move up at your job, whatever that is. If you're not, and a lot of people aren't, find what makes you happy and start. Increasing on that, I think, as these guys are pointing out, the the trap, as Glenn put it, which very rightly is to get in this, well, we should all just have the things, and I'll just, I'll have everything, and then I'll probably just automatically have to be happy. When I said, I saw this thing makes this person happy, so I, sh- I should probably just have it. Right. As opposed to actually doing a little bit of introspection, which you're, you're on the road to doing, saying, what makes me happy? What's what's the actual problem here? And starting to address that. And the really good news about that is once you get that kind of problem-solving mindset on this, it's a lot shorter of a road than your your envy would make it seem. Though I got to you know, go do all this stuff and get a suit and I got to do the whole thing. And then one day I will be happy. If it's, I need to increase just kind of my joy in life, you can start doing that tomorrow with whatever your thing is. That's, that's the really good news on this. All right, we're going to move to our interview with uh, hip-hop artist Derek Miner. Good chat with him. His record, Your Soul Must Fly, is out now. You'll hear more about that, and we'll be back with that in just a minute. (laughs) Take the opportunity to press on. Real talk. No doubt. Walk me through the different stuff you're doing with the Up and Away series. It sounds like a really cool innovation. Man, yeah. So how it all was birthed was I was on a tour. It was like an amazing tour, like an arena tour. I mean, great people backstage, great people, you know, great crowds. People were really cool. And I remember towards the end of the tour, after the tour, I went through this kind of depression. And what I realized uh, after about a month, you know, I talked to my friend pastor Blake Wilson in Houston and he told me he said well I feel like maybe you I'm about to charge you like they charge the church of Ephesus in Revelation maybe you forgot your first love you know what I'm saying so mm. I was like hey that might be true what I realized was I got so caught up and I think this is easy for us as creatives but I think it's easy for people as well you know when I first started making music album sales and, and, you know, social media numbers and all that stuff wasn't on the forefront of my mind. It was just making dope music that connected with people. And uh, some, you know, what, what, what I realized was album sales, metrics and all of those different things had begun to separate me from my initial dream, had separated me from the thing that I loved the most. And that was making it like dope music to the point where I didn't even really even know if I wanted to make music like that anymore. Um, so from that, you know, the whole project was birthed. So if you listen to, uh, if you look at the project, it's broken up in four parts. The first one's called Your Soul Must Fly. The second one's called High Above. The third one's called The Trap. And the fourth one's called By Any Means. So it's a sentence. Your soul must fly high above the trap by any means. Um, and it's what I it's, it's what I remember telling myself, like, you have to fly high above the trap. So you listen to the first project. It's really high energy. And it's about someone's soul, like someone taking off, chasing the dreams, chasing what, you know, chasing the pure things. High above, what winds up happening is oftentimes, you know, for myself, I had rose high above and, you know, I'm doing what I love for a living. But it also felt like my dreams were separating from me. Like I rose high above actually my dreams. I was separated from them. 
And the trap is oftentimes for us, it's chasing things like numbers and money and power and fame and all those things. We think that'll fulfill us, but often it doesn't. So we just wind up on this hamster wheel of chasing those things. So, you know, high above sounds like you're on a cloud. The trap has this like eerie, hard feel. And the last uh, project is called By Any Means. And I like to call it Chase God by Any Means because the only way to not, you know, be on the hamster wheel is to go a different direction to actually get off the hamster wheel. Mm. And that's kind of the whole idea of the Up and Away series. That's really cool, man. And one of the interesting things, it seems like we're in an interesting moment for particularly Christian hip-hop as far as, you know, you're talking about being on an arena tour, and I know you're out, you're are on or about to go on tour with the Newsboys. What's it like yeah. to have a, a genre that's been kind of segregated for a long time, at least in some people's minds, and now to be bringing that to a Newsboys audience, to have, you know, the 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 people in the minivan getting involved in what you're saying? Has that been, what's that experience been like? What have you learned from that? Um. Well, what I've learned is, we have a lot in common, uh, in a sense. I know that probably sounds crazy, but um, we have way more in common than we probably have not in common. And I think the thing that we have in common are everyone wants love. Everyone wants, uh, you know, everyone wants acceptance. Everyone wrestles with things like depression and different things. They just usually flush themselves out in different ways. So oftentimes the challenge is not the issues that we deal with, acceptance, love, frustrations, depressions, or uh, joy. The issue is often how those things play themselves out in our life. So from the stage, what I try to do is I try to create an atmosphere where we just meet in the places where I know that people struggle with or we meet in the places that I know people want to hear hope in, or we meet in the places where everybody's happy at. And I think that's what I've realized is on tours, like, you know, with the newsboards crowd, I just have to know the people that I'm dealing with. And, you know, oftentimes the nuances of where I've come from, they may not understand, but I can also use those things that, that have made me and grown me to actually impact other people and show them like, Hey, we all have a lot of things in common, whether we whether we know or not. And even our differences that we have, like there's strength in those differences. You know, I you know, I came from Michigan, but I grew up in you know, I came from Michigan and I grew up in Tennessee. And uh man, like my family is very unique, but that uniqueness is not a threat to other people. That uniqueness should allow other people to look at what I see and and be able to grow from that. Just like, you know, I don't, you know, for, you know, someone that's grew up in the suburbs with a ton of money, their issues probably might be totally different than my issues. But I can guarantee you, if I was to sit down and have a conversation with them, I could benefit from what they've learned, their mistakes and all those things. So that's why I kind of found out is that we have a lot in common, but our differences aren't necessarily weaknesses unless we try to, unless we look at them as weaknesses. You know, if we're going to say, hey, you don't look like me, you don't talk like me, you don't act like me, then therefore I'm going to cut you off. Then that's when, that's the actual weakness. It's not the actual differences, but it's our perspectives towards those differences. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's really, that's a really cool thought. There's a lot of that theory and kind of the, the cross-cultural uh, ministry stuff we do in Chicago, exactly as you're saying there, you know, the, yeah. the problems might present themselves a little differently, but the solutions are often exactly the same. Yeah, and, absolutely. And for people who may not um, have experienced a lot of the kind of high-quality content of Christian hip-hop that uh, brothers like yourself do, I, there's an interesting thing, in, uh, if you, obviously, in kind of strip secular hip-hop, that it's all about the swagger and kind of yeah. the braggadocio and here's what I have and here's who I am and, you know, being a boss and all that stuff. 
yeah. how, how do you fold in to that genre and that kind of idea these things you're talking about with the humility and with that kind of looking for those connections and putting yourself out there how does how is hip-hop the vehicle for you to do that well you have to meet people at the human element so if you know if you don't really know the culture that hip-hop was birthed from and when you don't when you when you look at it from the outside it's just a bunch of uh braggadocious people but when you boil it down if you really listen to the nuances of what's often being communicated it's not just guys just bragging about money but it's people that literally like you could take tons of these rappers and they grab rappers from out of the middle of the projects out of the middle of the hood and then you give them hundreds of thousands of dollars millions of dollars what they're saying oftentimes is not just, hey, I got all this money just to, just to show off. But the heart behind that oftentimes is saying, I came from nothing. Now I'm finally something. And I'm going to tell you, like, I'm never going back to being nothing. That's oftentimes the message that's communicated. So on, in a sense, when you look at that, it's not necessarily a financial issue. Or not necessarily a braggadocious issue, but it's an issue of value and worth. Mm. What I bring to the table is saying, yes, you may be a millionaire because you came up on rap, or you may be a millionaire because you came up on stocks and bonds or whatever, or you may be still broke in the middle of the projects, but your value isn't necessarily from the money. Your value is because God says you're made in his image. And that connects with people because everyone's not going to be rich, but everyone has this question, this internal wrestle of value and this internal struggle. And where I try to meet people at and say, yo, you're great regardless. Like you were made for great things regardless. And money is a, is a poor judge to value because unfortunately, just like you can get money fast, you can lose it fast. You know what I'm saying? So I think for me, it's almost like you have to understand the sociology behind hip hop to understand what's actually taking place in it. And for me, I just try to meet people where I believe they're at. And some people connect with it. Sometimes the message of Jesus is liberating for people. And sometimes they're like, man, that's crazy. How are you going <laughs> to tell me that just loving Jesus is going to give me value? like, Or that I already have value when I've been told my whole life I don't have any. Like some people, that's a crazy mind. It's a crazy thought, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as, as we wrap up here, and thanks so much for your time, how does that um, kind of overall theory about value and that kind of exhortation you're talking about, it sounds like that's a big part of what you're trying to do with the Up and Away series. And how, how is that kind of a central idea to what you're, the message you're trying to put across to people with Up and Away? Yeah, well, it's crazy because I'm on, on the other side of it. Like, I'm actually at a place where, I mean, if you were to ask someone as an artist, like, man, what do you think Derek at, man? People would say he has made it. Mm. Like, he is, he is living the dream. And at an area where I'm doing really well, my heart was still sad. I went through this, this frustration, and it's because I had lost focus on what was important. And what's important is not necessarily the album sales, although that's a part of my job, is to try to increase album sales, to, to look at that type of stuff, and, you know, make sure that there's tons of people at the shows, like, you know, that, that, that I mean, that's actually a part of my job. Sure. But that's not what makes me. If I do it, if, 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 I, if I never get to do music ever again, for some reason, something happens, or, or if I just today say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, that doesn't determine my worth and value. I'm not just, I'm not, like my value isn't in how many people I can pull to a show, how many album sales I can make. My value is given to me from God, and no one can take it away, and no one can add to it, because it's already fulfilled in him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's the the message of the project is fantastic. The music behind it is great. The first 
EP in the Up and Away series, Your Soul Must Fly, is available right now. You can check the progress of the others at DerekMiner.com. Derek, thank you so much for your time, brother. Yo, thank you, man. I appreciate you. Uh, really good to talk to Derek Miner. We appreciate him taking the time, as we said. The uh, first of his four EPs on the Up and Away series, Your Soul Must Fly, is out now. You can find out more at Derek Miner, D-E-R-K-M-I-N-O-R.com. All right, we're going to move on to our final question of the episode here. This one came in anonymously, and it says, I used to be very close to a friend, but they hurt me quite often, and things seemed unhealthy, so I began to draw myself back. In the past, our friendship has really hurt my self-esteem and encouraged a lot of anxiety I had to work through in counseling. Over the past few months, this person has been making an effort, being nice. How do you know when the time is right to let a previously unhealthy relationship back into your life, and how? And Glenn, I'd love you to start us off with this. Maybe let's um, spend some time on that how do you know if this is a good idea, and then we can look at how later. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I think let's start with, do you really want this relationship in your life? Mm -hmm. But Glenn, I'm a Christian. I have to let everybody be as close to me as they want to be. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you can. (laughs) You just not. But Jesus? Yeah, no. No, no. But sweaters? <laughs> Not sweaters either. I want to Swe- make sweaters famous, y'all. Sweaters don't come into this. <laughs> it's it's really just a matter of saying uh I, I think first of all, this is this is to take the pressure off you. There is absolutely no nothing wrong or unchristian about you saying, uh, you know, I appreciate your your humility and your apology and and I forgive you, and I'm and I'm glad we could work this out. I'm glad we could reconcile on that. Uh, in terms of hanging out, I am not super into that. You know, it, 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 I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, you know, uh, this the, the fallout of this kind of took me to a bad place, and I'm working through a certain amount of that, and I feel like I'm getting to a good place for that. So I think it's a it's a good step for you to go your way, me to go mine. And everybody's happy, and everybody's okay with that. Uh, so you have to give yourself permission to do that. And 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 I'm not certain from the way this is worded that you are. So so it's a it's about asking: Do you want this, or do you feel like you need to participate in? It? The second thing is: If you do want to have this relationship with this person, I'd like to ask you this very important question: Why? Hmm. <laughs> Why do you want to have... I mean, they kind of a schmucky person. Okay, they apologize. That's a good reason to forgive them. Right. But do you, if you do want this relationship, why do you want it? I think sometimes we get caught up in feeling like everybody's going to judge me if I don't hang out with this mm, person, sure. and they're going to think I'm less Christian, so I have to do that. If you're putting that kind of pressure on yourself, uh, that's not helping either. And that's also not a good basis for a relationship, you know. Sure, I'm willing to hang out with you even though it causes me great emotional distress because I like the way it makes me look as a person. You know, that's not, this is going to be a terrible relationship. And there's the flip side of that. We've all had friends, and we actually deal with this a lot in our ministry, of, you know, if that person just got themselves lined out on this one or two things, that would really be a cool person. Yes. Yeah. And that's it's a little rarer than the thing you're talking about, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but we, do, we don't want to sound like we're campaigning one way or the other here. That's a perfectly viable thing, but if you're not willing to ask the questions you're talking about, you can't really arrive at either side of that. That's, that's right. right. Yeah, I mean, I, and uh, in my own life, to, you know, full disclosure, I've kind of gone both ways with this. There are, you know, situations where... You know, somebody's come to me, apologized, they meant it, you know, they worked on their stuff, but you can tell this guy's going to do this again, this guy still has some of his basic issues, and also, it's just too much, Yeah. you know, and I don't know if you can, I don't, I don't know if you can get this, but sometimes the perpetrator needs to start over fresh. Sure, sure. So yeah. them working out something with you is them taking the long, hard road to getting their life back on track. Sometimes it's a kindness for that other person to say, 
no, you need to go make new friends where you don't have this baggage with them and you don't mm. have all this hanging in the air. That's a kindness to the other person as well. The, a little bit of that distance is is good and healthy for both parties. Uh, and I think, if again, give yourself permission to do that. Uh, for sure, I think the forgiveness ought to feel like something you're obligated towards. That's that's a biblical obligation. That's something the Bible says we should do. Uh, and there, and and you know, full disclosure, there have been people who have wronged me. They apologized. They really meant it, and they really worked through it. And we were able to restore a relationship and move on, and that's been fine. Uh, so I, I wouldn't judge if you wanted that either. I'm not saying that's for sure a craven desire on your part, but it is about looking at uh, 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 what are my motivations here, and and am I making it hard on myself for for a reason that's that's not good and healthy? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think that is the perfect place to start on that. Leah, I'd love you to pick us up there and let's give uh, put some bones on what Glenn was talking about there. If you're the person in this who's been wronged and someone comes back with some, with some, again, trying to be nice, making an effort, some apology, what are some indicators we can look for that say this has a chance at being something mm. that really ha- has a chance? And then we'll, I'll let Jed mop up with looking at how we would pursue that. But you look at that, okay, what's an apology that says this is a person who wants to do the right thing and there's something worth exploring here versus this is something that... And again, not judging, not saying they're not actually sorry or whatever, but it's not a great idea to tread these waters. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great way to ask the question. I would say the thing that you're most looking for is humility. Okay. And, uh, and maybe that means the person doesn't actually know what all they did. Maybe it means they do exactly know and they come right out on front street with, this is exactly what I did to you. It was wrong. I'm sorry that I did that. Um, tell me how we can, how we can go forward in a way that makes you feel comfortable about this. I, I want to make this right. I, w- I want to squash this thing and, and I want to do it the right way. Um, you're looking for a person like that. Now you may have a situation where a person does, doesn't exactly know what it was. Hey, I, I know that I did something stupid. I'm not exact. I, I would love to hear it uh, hear about that from you so that I can understand it. But I, I am sorry. Uh, and you know, I, you know what I, what I did was wrong. I, I'd love to hear you uh, explain that for me. Here's what you don't want is you don't want somebody. Um, th- and this is the thing that gave me pause when I read the question is, um, sometimes people just spread a lot of nice on top of, hello, uh, on top of a reconciliation effort. Uh-huh. And that's their that is a uh that's a mechanism to never have to actually say that they were wrong about anything. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And the reason that, that that they do that is because it has worked so many times before with so many people. If I just throw a little nice on here, then they start to feel bad. Well, I don't want to confront somebody that's being so nice. Mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to take them to task when they're being so sweet all of a sudden. Well, now you just get away with it. I mean, the 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 amount of the amount of ridiculousness that people can get away with by with with just a with a a cursory amount of nice is insane. Where, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw a little nice on here. I'm going to compliment your shoes. And all of a sudden, we're not talking about some real problems that I have relating to people. Because now you feel bad about confronting me about something. Hey, something really happened to you. And you have the right to talk about that. You have somebody hurt you in a certain way. And you have the right to discuss those things so that you can set a proper boundary for the next time if you want to keep pursuing this relationship, as Glenn's saying. But a little bit of, uh, it, it's like icing. We'll call it nicing. You just can't just spread that's that good. over the thing, and now we got to eat the whole thing. You, yeah, right. That's not the way this works. But the reason that people will do that is because so many folks have let them get away with it so many times, especially, I think, in Christian circles where we feel like, well, uh, that, 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 you know, all bets are off. Now I can't confront them because they're being sweet. I just stole nicing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. That's Glenn's now, unfortunately. That's mine now. I <laughs> call dibs. Uh, the story we're all going to tell later on is about how Lisa rudely stole that from Glenn next mm-hmm. time he uses that <laughs> in the sermon. Right. That's just 
That's just how the world works. It's a cruel mm-hmm. and dark place. And uh, Jed, if you can close out here, um, let's say we, we've kind of used the good wisdom that Glenn and Lee gave us there and decided this is something that seems worth, and hopefully there's some prayer involved in that, yeah. seems worth an honest effort. How do we do that in a smart way? Okay. And maybe just as importantly, how do we incorporate um, the ability to bail on that if it, we misread the situation? Well, that's a good question. Well, let's begin here. I'm going I'm to give you a couple of principles and look at an example. So the most important principle here is that love is a gift. Love is a gift that we give to people. They don't do anything to earn our love. We, we simply give it to them. Trust is earned. Trust is something people have to work for. And to go back to a point Glenn made earlier, forgiveness is also in that first category. Forgiveness is something you, a decision you make to not uh, be angry at somebody more. Trust and reconciliation are different things. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. In relationships, love is a gift. Trust is earned. If they haven't earned it, do not give it to them. Uh, yeah. that, that causes problems every time. So a lot of what I think you're describing in terms of what went wrong in this relationship in the past was a betrayal of trust. You, you trusted this person to act a certain way and they did not uh, responsibly handle that trust. So what we need to do is we, if we're going to look at rebuilding this relationship or, or building a new one with this person, then we want to give them small opportunities to earn some trust and see how they handle it. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. But let's take a look at an example. So um, one example of the toxic friend is the person who makes everything about them. You know, you, you meet up for coffee and they say, how was your day? Ah, you know, a little bit of a rough day on the job. You know, boss isn't happy about everything. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to get fired from my job. Oh, oh, okay. But go on, tell me more about your day. My boss is a werewolf. <laughs> 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 the, the ever escalating yeah <laughs> well my my throat's a little scratchy i don't know if it's hay fever i think i might have cholera right oh, i oh. think only only children from the 1900s get that <laughs> <laughs> i mean most of us have had a friend who does this right right the one upper the, the, one, upper. the one upper well it turns out actually this can become a really toxic thing you know so let's say that was part of the dynamic with this person just as a for instance is they every they were a one upper and everything became about them you you weren't allowed to have problems in your life because they had all the problems right so here's what we do they they let's say again as matt said in this scenario they have apologized you've forgiven them you know through prayer and wise counsel and a lot of thought you, you decide you, you want to give a chance to um you know rebuilding a relationship here so we're going to pursue that so what we do is we limit exposure and we give them small opportunities to earn trust. We'll look at those separately. Mm. First is we limit exposure. We do not plan a three-hour hangout with them. We say, I got a thing at place A, and I got another thing at place B. There's a coffee shop in between those. I got like a 25-minute window. Let's grab a cup of coffee and just you know hang out for a second. I hope that works for you. Thing A, a person who recognizes that they're in a mode of rebuilding a relationship will be fine with that. Yeah. Um, so that's good. But this is the key thing. Behaving for 25 minutes is a lot easier than behaving for three hours. If they can't behave for 25 minutes, then we have our answer on where they're at. So that's limiting exposure. That is, we're going to give you a, a small window uh, in which we're going to interact. But the second is giving them an opportunity to rebuild trust. So... You say their their issues they're they're the one upper. Um, they're gonna say, well, how you doing? You float out something small. Say, well, you know, a bit of a rough day on the job. You know how it goes, and give them an opportunity to respond. If the answer is immediately, yeah, I think my entire company's going to get closed down and they're going to sell us off for food and probably burn the building. Well, then I think we have our answer here. Right. We, we, we <laughs> bless your heart, no trust granted because right. no trust earned. Right. But if you say, ah, you know, it's a bit of a rough day on the job and, and what can you do? And they say, I'm sorry to hear that. Tell me more about it. What, what was rough about it? Oh my goodness, it may be the dawning of a new day. Right. Now, <laughs> To be clear, uh, they've earned one ounce of trust. They've earned one trust point, not a dozen trust points. But there's something here. We say, well, they were cool about that one thing. Now we can hang out for 45 minutes, and I will give them two things that they can attempt to be cool about. And and in that, we can build, and we can build. We can get to a place where we can have some confidence that they can be cool about stuff. We don't put so much on them that we're tempting them to backslide and misbehave. We're actually making 
making it we're being kind to them by making it easy for them to do the right thing yes if they have that in their brain and if they do then we can keep building that and upping the amount of time the amount that we share and getting to a place where we have a real relationship but we're also making it easy where if they can't avoid making it about them for a 25 minute interaction then we know exactly where this sits and it's no problem to say well i think it's gonna be time for me to go absolutely that's fantastic stuff two two quick things i put on that uh to just to add to what jed said there one is on some of this stuff you you have to trust your gut yeah i think there is a sense as uh, with the nicing which glenn the phrase glenn coined that's very wise um that concept (laughs) of I have to create an airtight case for why I'm not going to give this person another chance. Um, that's not really the way it is, is, you know, maybe if they're the one up or, or maybe it's someone who, you know, would make this occasional sarcastic cutting remark in the form of a joke. They don't have to say something outright rude yeah. for you to say, okay, this feels a lot like what happened last time. So we're just right. going to cut this off here. Uh, one other thing I'll add on this, and I don't know if this is in this situation, but it happens a lot. When you say, you know, I began to draw myself back, makes total sense. I think sometimes people think, since I didn't confront them about it at the time, that opportunity sailed. And I don't don't get to go back and talk about that. And that's not really true. It can be an important part, as as Glenn was walking us through, of reestablishing a healthy relationship to talk about things like boundaries and where those are. And just the fact that you chickened out before doesn't mean you can't choose courage and boldness now right there's a smart way to do that and one one phrase i will give you from what we do up here in chicago where unfortunately um we have to do a fair amount of confrontation uh just this week uh glenn and uh jed and one of our deacons um walked out a gentleman who had thought that you know i'm going to church don't be nervous Maybe 80 ounces of malt liquor will help calm my nerves. He hadn't had a beer. He had had all the beers. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. There was no no beer in Cook County that day, for he had drunk it all. Yeah. Um, So then they walked him out and explained that this is unacceptable, but we're not mad at you. And here's here's a phrase you can incorporate in that we use a lot, which is the phrase, I know you didn't mean anything by it. Right. And that goes the humility piece. uh, Lee was talking about it. It goes with Joe's over there. To give someone a... uh, a dignified out. Yeah. So when you didn't call them the time, and this is especially helpful sometimes if you're coming back weeks, months, years later to say, you know, and I know you didn't mean anything. You didn't mean to hurt my feelings you did this. And I know I should have said something at the time, so I apologize for that. But when you said or did X, Y, Z, that really bummed me out. Yeah. And that's kind of why I didn't want to hang out with you. Yeah. So I'm giving you the opportunity to, now that you know that, it's building a trust is just saying to not do that anymore. Right. Cause before part of the problem was me being a chicken and not pointing this out, mm-hmm. but now I'm pointing it out. So if you do it, you're just openly disregarding my feelings, right. Which we can bail. And I think people really, uh, there's a lot of with in kind of the suburban culture and tickling Christian stuff, this idea of uh, a fear of confrontation that leads to people doing that babbling in a lot of ways. And one of those I think is this idea of, if I didn't nip it in the bud, then I ceded my right to to deal with that. And that's not yeah. true. And again, there's a gentle way to do that. And if you want more uh, <coughs> more advice on that, that is, that's a topic, like I said, we know a lot about. So you can write in. And if you have a question for us going forward, thebridgechicago.tumble.com, say that podcast at gmail.com. We're going to take you out with a song. This is from a, uh, a Bridgebox contributor, some friends from years ago, a uh, band called Something Epic. This is a song called I Am the Storm. We'll take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, we'll plug in your microphone. Okay. God on the storm.